Welcome to Fish Bites. This is Eli Sussman, in charge of things over here at Fish Stripes. The website, fishstripes.com. On social media, at Fish Stripes. Newly launched Fish Stripes YouTube channel that we just put up a few weeks ago. Uh, getting a lot of views on that channel, thank you very much. But not a lot of subscribers. Uh, we're going to have regular content on Fish Stripes on YouTube, including snippets from the podcast but also a lot of exclusives that you won't get anywhere else. Make sure to subscribe to Fish Stripes on YouTube as well. Across all these platforms, we are providing unique Miami Marlins coverage with uh, the season now rapidly approaching, just a matter of weeks away from spring training. And uh, that's going to be what this theme of this episode of Fish Bites is about, is preparing you for all the key dates on the 2020 Marlins calendar from um, some coming up just in a few days. Others throughout February, March, opening day, and beyond into the season, and then even after the season. All the key dates on the calendar, uh, still awaiting word from the Marlins about certain promotions coming up during the season, so those won't be included. But uh, a certain number of games that you want to keep your eye on, deadlines that uh, relate to how the Marlins are going to manage their roster, how they're going to pay their players. All that stuff, very important for a team, even as we're still in the middle of a rebuild. Before getting into all those special dates, we begin with your Marlins Weekly News. Facing a roster crunch, the Marlins had to make the difficult decision to designate Austin Dean for assignment last week. Their former minor league player of the year, someone who had spent his entire professional career in the Marlins organization and who had had some of his bright moments in parts of two seasons playing in the major leagues, uh, and they were able to find a trade partner for him fairly quickly. He's going to the St. Louis Cardinals, which means uh, awkwardly enough that he'll be reporting to spring training in the same place that he's grown accustomed to at, at Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium in Jupiter, just on the other side of the facility. And it's a one-for-one -one trade with the Marlins getting outfield prospect Dio Wheel Burgos in return. And he's someone I had not known much about at all prior to this trade, uh, but uh, learning pretty quickly that he is a very intriguing young player who had um, most of his, all of his professional experience at rookie levels, being the Dominican Summer League, and then more recently in the Gulf Coast League. And he, at this moment, across most of the player evaluation outlets nationally, is looking like a top 30 Marlins prospect in the organization, despite his inexperience, uh, just 18 years old at this moment someone that was fairly highly regarded as an amateur player. He got a, a six-figure signing bonus from the Cardinals just a couple of years ago, and uh, his, his stock has fluctuated quite a bit since then. His, his first Dominican League season struggled a bit at the plate, and then he bounced back in a very big way in 2019. 
started that year repeating at the Dominican Summer League a 382 batting average, a 481 on base, and a 725 slugging. OPS over 1,200. He was the best hitter in the Dominican Summer League, a league that has 45 rosters worth of players. So that's certainly not for nothing, although I'm someone that does not put all that much weight into stats accumulated during rookie-level games. But when it's something that outrageous and so far uh, above and beyond anybody else in the entire league, you have to put some stock into it. Got promoted to the Gulf Coast League where he finished out the year 22 games, and he certainly came back to earth offensively at that point. But some really good insight into him, especially from Fangraphs, who were aggressive and already uh, elevating him to number 19 on their Marlins top prospect list, despite his inexperience in full season ball. Uh, I'll be curious to see what exactly his assignment looks like heading into this new year. Um, might be premature to consider him a true full season player. Might head off into extended spring training before an assignment in short season ball. Uh, all that's still to be determined. Uh, a lot of his value as a player will be determined by his bat. Uh, not super athletic. Uh, and all, virtually all of his pro experience has been in the corner outfield spots. That's a very important note, is that uh, when you're a true premium all-around player heading into pro ball, teams will give you the benefit of the doubt, and they'll stick you in the center field and uh, wait for you to fall out of that possibility. They, they want to give you every shot at sticking at an up-the-middle defensive position, but the Cardinals made a decision very early on with Burgos to put him in the outfield corners. He's had a lot of reps at left field and at right field. So as an overall player, that puts somewhat of a ceiling on what to expect from him in the major leagues. All that being said, Dean was fairly expendable to the Marlins at this stage. They had a lot of other outfielders on the 40-man roster, and uh, a little surprising to see the Cardinals uh, take a flyer on him, but they are trying to replace some of their own right-handed hitting outfielders that were traded away and entered free agency. Um, he's, he's just not a your ideal National League type of player at this stage of his career, and considering the, the rules in the National League at this moment with no DH. Uh, so, I mean, it's an understandable decision for the Marlins to part with him. For the Marlins to get somebody like Burgos in return that still has a lot of potential to grow and become the same type of player that Dean was and maybe even slightly better if everything goes right, that has to be considered a nice win for the organization. Uh, they followed that up pretty quickly with another trade where the Yankees found themselves in a similar predicament in order to uh, complete a signing onto their major league roster. They had to designate Stephen Tarpley for assignment. And uh, we already have a couple articles up on Fish Stripes about Tarpley in particular. And the, the Marlins, a one-for-one one trade, sending away James Nelson to get Tarpley in return. Nelson, if, if you've been a Marlins fan for just a couple years, you're familiar with Nelson probably because the year before that Dean won Minor League Player of the Year, Nelson won the organization's Minor League Player of the Year award when, as a 19-year-old, he tore up low-A Greensboro as a 300-hitter, uh, even showed a little bit of power, uh, the opportunity to stick at third base. Uh, he was someone that, uh, at a time when the organization had a fairly depleted farm system, right before they made all these rebuilding trades, Nelson is someone that really stood out, that at least as a hitter, he um, he offered a lot of potential, and someone that you could have seen rising to the big leagues uh, fairly quickly on the strength of his bat. 
Unfortunately for Nelson, entering the 2018 season, right before the start of the minor league year, he had to undergo a meniscus surgery and missed about a month and a half, two months. When he returned to play, um, still fairly early in the 2018 season, he just wasn't the same. And he really hasn't been the same ever since. I'd been following him fairly closely these last two years, and there have been very few brief few far between hot streaks for him at the plate ever since then overall a 228 hitter in Jupiter where he's been stuck at that level in back-to-back years hadn't even been feeling well enough to play third base on a totally consistent basis a lot of starts at DH during that time as well with some of the superior defensive talent that the Marlins have since added around him at that same level so he's heading to the Yankees which is a team that uh, his uncle, Chris Nelson, used to play for very briefly uh, last decade. So some familiarity there. Uh, from speaking with Nelson, he did grow up rooting for the Yankees for um, a significant amount of his, his childhood. So uh, for him, I think it's still a good situation. Just 22 years old, and despite the very discouraging results the past couple of years with the inability to get hits, um, inability to develop much power and the questions about what his fit is going to be defensively he still has time on his side being such a young player but for the marlins with their state of their farm system similar to dean it's just a guy that they felt was somewhat expendable that they had other players that they trusted more uh, uh, that were had been performing better the past couple of years and and ultimately that's going to override everything else uh, aside from the evaluations is your simple performance and they were ready to turn the page on that in order to add a guy that the marlins front office staff has a lot of familiarity with that's the case with a lot of yankees players and this um, this rings familiar as the trade that they the organizations made a couple of years ago when the Marlins picked up Garrett Cooper and Caleb Smith, both both of whom were being squeezed out of the Yankees' plans and buried on the depth chart. And Stephen Tarpley is in the same situation. Last year, the Yankees had the best bullpen in baseball. Heading into 2020, it looks like that may be the case once again. And Tarpley is a guy that has had major league opportunities the past two years, but hasn't really had the consistent reps to figure it out. On Fish Stripes, I put up an article on him as part of our new 2020 season preview series. That series is going to be going uh, throughout the rest of this month, all of February, even into March. So be sure to check it out at fishstripes.com slash 2020 dash Marlins. And there'll be plenty of links to that on the homepage as well. Uh, Tarpoli is one of the first guys we wanted to look at because of the timing of this trade where he has not had a lot of success so far in his major league career just pitched a a cup of coffee really for the 2018 Yankees and got a bit of a longer leash in 2019 but (laughs) it was not a I would say a comfortable work environment for Tarpoli he was constantly constantly sent on the shuttle between AAA and the major leagues last year 21 appearances overall in the majors a 6.93 ERA, nearly two base runners per inning, a 199 whip in 24 and two thirds innings. So it was disappointing. And um, if you look at his time in the minor leagues last year, though, he was really effective. 3.13 ERA, more than a strikeout per inning. And for his minor league career overall, a 2.94 ERA, and that's over 450 innings. So he's a guy about to turn 27 years old. And a left-handed pitcher who, uh, a former third-round pick, originally of the Orioles, 
hasn't had those opportunities really in the majors because of all the bullpen depth that the Yankees have. And that's certainly not the case with the Marlins, where uh, a stat that I dug up over the weekends is that the Marlins had 20 pitchers pitch in relief for them in 2019 and 12 of those 20 pitchers are now gone out of the organization entirely it's been a a total revamp of their bullpen uh but frankly not not a lot of guys that have significant major league track record you know there's even Tarpley, even though he's pitched in the major leagues a lot of low leverage innings so not somebody that has the track record necessarily, but he has some of the tools that really intrigue me. If you look at the minor leagues the past three years, 2017 to 2019, he, he's allowed a ground ball rate of 67%. 67% of his batted balls go straight into the ground, which at the major league level is pretty close to an automatic out, especially with how the Marlins played defense last year. Marlins are one of the better defensive infields in the league and uh, project to be a pretty good one once again this year, you know, depending on whether Isan Diaz sticks in the majors, uh, how much third base Brian Anderson plays. If you look at his pitches in particular, uh, the, the reason why he's able to get so many ground balls as measured by StatCast is that he gets so much vertical movement on his sinker. It dives straight into the grounds uh, fairly late in the process before the hitter can really adjust his swing path to it. And it was eerily similar to the former Marlin, Austin Bryce, who was traded earlier this month. Bryce was a guy who was one of the surprises, pleasant surprises in the bullpen last year at, at a certain stretch before he got injured. We mentioned this on a recent pod episode, is that Bryce was arguably the best pitcher in the Marlins bullpen for a certain stretch of time before suffering injuries. And with Tarpley, there are some similarities between him. Uh, Tarpley, uh, overall a more athletic pitcher. Uh, he has a, a slightly different pitch mix than Bryce does, whereas Bryce was all fastball, curveball. Uh, Tarpley uses a slider, and he relies on it almost as much as Bryce relied on his curveball. So he's he's mostly slider, sinker, four-seamer. You can see examples of all those pitches on the site. Uh, about he has about league average velocity his his fastball tracked at 92 and a half miles per hour by statcast during his major league reps he used to throw even harder as a prospect when um i guess at the start of his career in the Orioles system and then even in the yankees before he got called up so he dealt with some shoulder issues and since then hasn't fully regained the old velocity that he used to have but he has figured out the certain combination of pitches and the way to throw it that in the higher levels of the minor minor leagues, and you could see even some of the characteristics of those pitches in the majors, despite being ineffective, that uh, he has some of the things that you really look for in being an effective major league pitcher. He has two more minor league options remaining. That's very important. Uh, so as much as I like to see his potential and think that if he is given a steady role, which he was not able to get with the Yankees, if he's simply able to, uh, if they're patient with him, that he could prove to be a solid relief pitcher. If things don't look great in spring training, if, if simply he gets outcompeted by other arms in camp, then the Marlins can simply option him to AAA, keep him in the organization, um, but still work with him and try to refine um, his really interesting skill set. And lastly, on the news front, the Marlins held a hitter's camp in Jupiter on the site of their spring training facility. A handful of uh, really premium hitting prospects in their organization. Some of them that have been around a couple of years, but for the most part, these are guys that are mostly new to the organization. Jazz Chisholm, 
J.J. Bladey, Cameron Meisner, Monte Harrison, Peyton Burdick, both of the Macer brothers, Nassim Nunez, Osiris Johnson, Gerard Encarnacion, Nick Reddy. I think that's most of them that were participating in this hitter's camp for several days in Jupiter. We got some nice looks at their swings, courtesy of the Jupiter Hammerhead social media accounts. And uh, I think most importantly, you see them building a lot of camaraderie even outside of their hitting drills. Most of these guys briefly address the media. And uh, overall, you come off really impressed with how polished they are and, uh, again, how confident most of these guys are in their abilities. I've been here all off season, so I've got to meet all the guys and all the workers and the coaches and the front office and everybody around the complex. I mean, it's a great organization. I'm happy to be here. Love Miami. I mean, I'm from the Bahamas, so being in the 305, I mean, it's just exciting to be here, and I'm glad that someone wanted me to be here this bad that they traded for me. It's a great organization, great guys. Like, they're doing everything to get everybody better, and, I mean, I can't wait until the future and we win our World Series. I mean, I'm just here trying to get ready and be ready for spring training and all. Going into big league club this year, just trying to go out there and compete for a job. It's all about consistency, uh, cutting down on strikeouts and doing what I got to do and working every day and working hard on everything to become a big league, you know. I feel like it's a, the most difficult thing for a young guy, especially a young guy that um, has power and can hit, like, the guys that can like control the barrel but they want to do too much so for me it's just trusting myself and not trying to hit a ball 500 feet every swing among all the hitters camps participants you could say the weak link of that entire bunch would have to be victor victor mesa coming off his first season in affiliated minor league baseball uh, trying to justify a 5.25 million dollar signing bonus and some of the hype that simply comes with being cuban with having played professionally in cuba with being the son of a famous baseball player in cuba as well and simply falling flat on his face when he played most of last year with the hammerheads got promoted to double a jacksonville late in the year and struggled even more um the interesting takeaway from him is that he has made very distinct changes to his swing. We have a breakdown of that on YouTube about how he has changed the load of his swing, the hand placement that he has before beginning his swing motion, and then also the leg kick. He's taking a much more pronounced leg kick in the footage that we've received from the hitter's camp compared to what he had at this time a year ago. I think everybody has to be disappointed with the results last year where he didn't hit a single home run despite playing 130 total games last year between minor league baseball and the Arizona Fall League. And uh, for all the promise that he's shown as a defender, as a base runner, and just with his instincts in general, he's going to need to dramatically improve at the plate in order to have a steady role in the major leagues, in order to justify the investment that the Marlins made in him. And the most important part of, of coping with that is the willingness to make adjustments and uh, to try to put those adjustments into action. So if he is at Major League Spring Training and competing in some Grapefruit, grapefruit League games, then we can see exactly what that looks like when he gets into action. Because for now, we're, we're mostly looking at batting practice and hitting off a tee, uh, but there are distinct differences in Mesa compared to this time a year ago. 23 years old, so still has a long future ahead of him, still several years before the Marlins have to make decisions about putting him on the roster and forcing his way to the big leagues. 
as we know and as we've discussed on this podcast repeatedly, the Marlins have a lot of outfield depth in the high levels of their minor leagues. Entering the 2020 season, Mesa figures to be a regular center fielder at AA Jacksonville, but there's only so much time that they're going to be willing to like automatically write him in the lineup. They're, the results are going to have to come fairly quickly here in 2020 for the organization to still hold him into a high regard and give him a long leash is something to definitely look forward to and keep a close eye on because it wasn't that long ago that everybody was in agreement that he was one of the centerpieces of the entire farm system. It's encouraging to see Victor Victor put in that extra work to potentially bounce back from his 2019 campaign. For the main focus of this episode, I'll be taking you through a number of key dates on the 2020 Major League Baseball calendar that have important ramifications for the Marlins organization, beginning with the immediate future. On Tuesday night, the 2020 Baseball Hall of Fame class announcement that will air live on MLB Network and uh, be up there on social media almost immediately afterwards where a handful of players with Marlins ties are on the ballot. Uh, Some of them are going to be one and done. First year of eligibility for Brad Penny, for Josh Beckett, for Rafael Fercal, who finished his career with the Marlins, technically, and who am I missing? Heath Bell. Oh, of course, Heath Bell. That one notorious year. Uh, A holdover from previous years, Gary Sheffield is Based on what we've seen on the publicly released ballot so far, he has growing support. He's not going to get in this year, but he, he's going to have most likely his highest support total that he's had since going onto the ballot for the first time. And, of course, the one surefire inductee in this class on the baseball writer side is going to be Derek Cheater. The Marlins CEO, so far, unanimous support. We'll see if that holds up. He's trying to become just the second-ever player to get a unanimous Hall of Fame induction from the baseball writers, following in the steps of his former teammate, Mariano Rivera. So we'll be finding out on on Tuesday night what his support looks like and uh, if anybody had the audacity to go against him, a guy with over... 3,400 career hits, more postseason appearances than anybody else in terms of total games played, part of five World Series winners, and undisputedly one of the better players to ever play shortstop in the history of baseball, where countless players that are now playing for the Marlins looked up rooting for him, grew up, you know, as him being the their favorite player, one of the faces of all of Major League Baseball, it still changes a little bit to be able to call him Hall of Famer to be able to put that phrase on his um, on his resume, you could say. Uh, after that, specific to the Marlins on Saturday, February eighth, that's going to be the return of Fan Fest to Marlins Park from three p.m. to seven p.m. Less than three weeks away, one of the more highly anticipated Fan Fests in the past several years under this new ownership. It wasn't all that long ago that FanFest used to be a multi-day event. We've actually had several people in our audience who have remarked that they'd like to see it, once again, branching out to be more than a single day. And uh, I'm, I'm certainly on board with that. There's a certain amount of overall community interest that needs to be there in order to justify that, you know, holding it open for a couple of days and keeping all the players around for an extra day. But as it is, one-day event, 
on Saturday afternoon into early evening, and it's going to be attended by all the players on the Marlins 40-man roster. So some of the new additions that are going to be at FanFest for the first time as Marlins players, Corey Dickerson, Jesus Aguilar, Jonathan VR, uh, Rule 5 draft pick Sterling Sharp, Francisco Cervelli, some of the, even some of the prospects that you were probably aware of before, but are now on the 40-man roster for the first time, Sixto Sanchez. He was there last year as a non-roster invitee. Um, also, uh, Edward Cabrera on the 40-man, Lewin Diaz, who they traded for last year, Jazz Chisholm, uh, Umberto Mejia, a lot of new additions, and it's not just the 40-man. It is also some really notable non-roster guys as well. This year, the most prominent of those being Matt Kemp, you know, the former MVP with the Dodgers, who is on a minor league deal heading into the spring training. They, the Marlins have their captain's camp uh, that co- that kind of overlaps with FanFest here in February, where they include uh, some really highly touted young prospects that are expected to grow into the leaders on and off the field. Gentlemen, uh, my name is Gary Denbo. I'm the Vice President of Player Development and Scouting for the Miami Marlins. This camp is the start of building a great team and a franchise that plays not just for one championship every 15 years, but every year we're out there competing for championships, every year. You're the guys that are going to be looked to to set the standard for the way everybody in this organization goes about their business. This is the group right here, fellas. This is it. This is the group that's going to represent us as we go on to become a great organization again. The owner of this team set the standard for how to be a professional over over his 20-year career. And I don't think there's anybody that can argue with that. The first thing that we're going to cover, these words on this sheet, this is what we are about. First one on the list is we respect and abide by the rules of the Miami Marlins and Major League Baseball. Next one, we respect ourselves, our teammates, our opponents, our fans, and the game. And we represent all with dignity. For those of you that think you're not a role model, think again. Because we want all the kids all across the world to watch how you go about your business as a Miami Marlin and say, I want to be like this guy. Next one, we treat our teammates, staff, coaches, with respect and dignity while appreciating our individual differences. The number one word, we will treat everybody we encounter with respect. Next line is we master fundamentals, developmental and physical skills and maintain top physical condition by working harder and smarter than any other organization. Last few here is we strive to become championship major league players for the Miami Marlins. We expect to win and of course, That says who we are. You are not just a Miami Marlins player. You're not. You're a Miami Marlins player that's now a part of the captain's camp. And the expectations will be high going forward. So let's go out and meet them. As a reminder, FanFest admission is free. You get in complimentary just reserving tickets online at Marlins.com. You can reserve up to four per person this year. So be sure to take advantage of that, and uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of things on location that you may be tempted to buy. It's going to be a good time. I'll be sure to have several of my staff members there as well to chronicle it all and to meet some of you guys in person. 
After that, just a few days later, February 12th, that's when pitchers and catchers report. That's the mandatory report date. As I mentioned with the captain's camp, we already have a lot of players that are in town for a number of weeks at this point. But that's going to be um, the, the loose deadline for the pitchers and catchers to make it up to Jupiter for the beginning of those team workouts together. And then on February 17th, that is the first full squad workout with the pitchers, the catchers, and all the other position players. Uh, based on last year and what other teams do, it's usually between 65 and 70 players that participate in Major League Spring Training. Uh, in addition to that, you may sometimes see once the exhibition schedule gets started in the Grapefruit League, minor league players sometimes come over to appear in certain games. There are a few long road trips in Florida uh, during the Grapefruit League, and you generally don't want some of your more revered veterans like putting that extra wear and tear on themselves. So those are the opportunities for some of the minor league camp guys to get involved in that as well. It's going to be a really hectic time because we're at a time where the Marlins have so much of their farm system strength concentrated in the those higher minor league levels, high A, double A, triple A. And uh, so many of them are going to be in Major League Camp the whole time, and others are going to be coming over at select moments to participate in games. That first game is going to be February 22nd against the Mets, and the first home game of the Grapefruit League is the following day on February 23rd. Uh, Fast-forwarding a little bit, on March 10th, that is a final day if the Marlins want to save some money on players that they have uh, big questions about. I should say it's the final day to make cuts to your arbitration eligible players, your pre-arbitration eligible major leaguers, um, while owing only 30 days worth of their salary. Uh, At this point, the Marlins have agreed to terms with most of their arbitration eligibles, Adam Conley, Jose Ureña, Jonathan VR, and they'll be going to an arbitration case arbitration trial, an arbitration hearing, let me get that right, an arbitration hearing against Jesus Aguilar um, to determine what his exact salary will be. Um, But with any of those guys, if for whatever reason they see something early in spring training that's really discouraging and they aren't able to find a trade suitor for them, the Marlins can make a cut by March 10th and uh, owe them less than one-sixth of that total salary. It's not fully guaranteed the way that uh, major league veteran deals are and so it's at that point in the year where uh, for a team like the marlins uh, still in a rebuild and still some questions about what exactly their revenue streams are going to look like long term uh, that's going to be a, a deadline for them if they're really conscious about their payroll and then a couple weeks after that is when the season starts on opening day against the phillies a first pitch time at 4 10 p.m our current speculation is that Sandy Alcantara is going to get that opening day start. Urania had it the last two years, but uh, with the way that he finished out his 2019 season and with the way that Alcantara finished out his 2019 season on a high note, we expect that honor to go to Sandy to begin the 2020 season, hosting Bryce Harper, JT Real Muto, and the Phillies uh, with new manager Joe Girardi. It's going to be the third straight year that the Marlins host on opening day, and they were unsuccessful the last two opening days, trying to reverse that trend 
and they're going to have a lot of different players than the past couple years. So maybe that will do the trick. Naturally, there is a fixation from fans on what the Marlins opening day roster is going to be. Uh, Who's their opening day lineup going to be? When in reality, this stuff is not all that important. Even in the most successful years for teams, there are so many moves that to be made to a roster, changes as a result of injury, of poor performances, of prospect promotions, of personal issues, and of course of trades that you make with other teams to bring in new guys from outside the organization. Uh, Whatever group the Marlins bring into opening day is going to look nothing like what they finished the year with. And the first interesting milestone to make significant changes or high-profile changes will be April 11th. That is the earliest date that minor leaguers can debut without being able to gain a full year of major league service time. Uh, For the Marlins, being cost-conscious, it's a deadline that's going to carry some weight. You've seen it around baseball carry a lot of weight. At the moment, uh, Chris Bryant and the Cubs, more than five years removed from the initial dispute, are uh, still are awaiting a hearing from an arbitration panel about uh, whether he's going to be eligible for or free agency uh, this coming offseason or the year after that because the Cubs were very blatant with how they manipulated his service time. Uh, as the current collective bargaining agreement is, um, well, we'll have to wait to see exactly what the findings of the arbiter is in Brian's case that may dictate how the Marlins use this deadline coming up this year. Um, usually they're not so conspicuous with it, holding down a player a bit longer past the deadline um, before actually bringing them up. But you need six years of major league service time, six full years in order to gain Uh, free agent eligibility and uh, the way that teams circumvent this historically is by waiting until that deadline waiting until just a couple weeks into the regular season to call you up so that you don't have the service time necessary to qualify for free agency until after your seventh year some prospects that this may impact nick neidert and sixto sanchez monte harrison Uh, With Monte in particular, because he's a little on the older side for a top prospect, the Marlins already have him under control through his entire 20s. Hopefully, they will just base that decision on the merit of his performance and the competitors at that position. But just something to keep in mind, April 11th, that's when it's no longer a full year um, for players to gain service time. At the end of that month, April 28th to the 30th, that's a Puerto Rico series against the Mets in San Juan. The Marlins have played in Puerto Rico in the past, as recently as 2010, and these are going to count as Marlins home games. Only 78 home games scheduled at Marlins Park this year, with these three also the Marlins being the nominal home team and perhaps having somewhat of a home field advantage, right, considering the proximity from Puerto Rico to Miami as opposed to Puerto Rico to New York, although New York does have a pretty big Puerto Rican population. I know as a guy that that grew up in New York that there's a big presence there, so I'm not sure how much of a home field advantage will be there. The Marlins will have a very prominent Puerto Rican player on the roster next year, being Isan Diaz. Meanwhile, for the Mets, it's a very awkward turn of events as Carlos Beltran, who was named their manager over the offseason, being uh, parting ways mutually with the organization, being reported, uh, frankly, as more of a firing as 
because of his involvement in the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal, which we're going to be touching on a little bit later in this segment. And he's a very prominent Puerto Rican player, one of the most successful Puerto Rican players of his generation or any other. And uh, so now he won't be involved in this directly, although the Mets closer, Edwin Diaz, will be. He's coming off a bad year, but just a couple of years before that, one of the premium relief pitchers in all of baseball. So assuming he reestablishes himself as an effective option early in 2020, by the time the, that series comes around at the end of April, he's going to be a main attraction, I imagine, for all the fans in attendance. Should be a great atmosphere. We saw the Indians and Twins play there in Puerto Rico um, not that long ago. And something that I just remembered by doing the research for this is that although the Marlins haven't been back there since 2010, they were supposed to be back there in 2016 against the Pirates. There was this two-game series set up in Puerto Rico um, in homage to Roberto Clemente, the Puerto Rican Hall of Famer, and they had to call that off on relatively short notice because of the outbreak, outbreak of the Zika virus. So I had remembered the Zika virus outbreak in mostly in the Caribbean and South America, and I didn't remember that the Marlins had to reschedule games because of that. Those games were played instead in Miami instead of Puerto Rico because of the risk to the players. In any event, uh, now Puerto Rico, again, is facing a lot of adversity. It's really been a tough few years for those for that island, uh, of course, with Hurricane Maria and more recently the earthquakes, uh, a series of earthquakes that have hit the islands and caused some damage, uh, took down electricity for a lot of people. Um, you, you just got to hope that by the time we get to this point on the calendar, everybody's in the best condition possible and that these teams are able to bring some joy to that island where it has a really great baseball tradition and from the games that have been played there in the recent past it's an excellent atmosphere so want to give those fans a, a great show when that happens moving on into the middle of the season june 10th to the 12th that's going to be the major league baseball amateur draft being held in omaha nebraska which is the site of the college world series of course, players eligible for the draft include both high schoolers and college players, but for the Marlins in particular this coming year, where they hold the number three overall pick, it's a class where the three standout prospects at this moment in time were still close to five months out, and so the 2020 college season hasn't even started yet. But at this moment, there are three very obvious candidates to go at the top of the draft, Austin Martin, Spencer Torkelson, and Emerson Hancock. The Marlins, not a full-blown tank job last year, but they did um, shed a lot of veteran players down the stretch and end up losing a lot of games. They ultimately didn't get the number one overall pick, but it's hard to go wrong, at least based on what we know publicly about those top three, three players. At least one of them is going to be available to the Marlins at number three overall. This will be the highest draft position that the Marlins have had since Tyler Kolek in 2014. And that one did not play out all that favorably to the team. But considering the way that the Marlins front office handled the 2019 draft, they were very critically acclaimed for the way they were able to maneuver their draft bonus pool, sign a lot of key players above slot value, and yet still fit all of them within the overall bonus pool loose cap that they have 
it was very encouraging the way that they scouted and then ultimately signed key players last summer, hoping to do more of the same this time. Because of the sign ceiling scandal, the Astros do not have their first round or draft, second round draft pick this year in 2020. As a result, the Marlins move up a, a slot for a couple of their picks. Number three overall stays at number three, but their second pick moves up to number 40 overall, then number 62, 75th, 105, 135, and then every 30 picks from there onward. But that's four picks in the top 75. This is a great opportunity entering a year where they have an elite farm system. But as I've mentioned a couple times, they have a lot of talent concentrated in the high minors. So once those guys graduate to the majors, you can't count them as part of the farm system anymore. You always need new waves of talent, and that's why they hold the draft every year. For all the pain that fans were subjected to last summer watching a non-competitive team, this is a silver lining to going through all that. Shortly after the draft, June 16th, that is the earliest date to trade a player who was signed as a free agent the previous offseason. I was actually not aware of this date. I knew about it in basketball, weirdly enough, but not in, in baseball. This is according to Cots Baseball Contracts, a very valuable resource that I've been diving into more so recently than ever before, and uh, this was listed by them as it's right there near the middle of the year, not quite at the midway point, but pretty close, and that would go a decent way to explaining why we don't see all that many trades before the middle of June. It's because there is a literal rule about it where players that you just signed, you need to hold on to them for a certain length of time. That is relevant for the Marlins because a lot of their changes this offseason have been made via free agency. I mentioned some of the names already, Corey Dickerson, VR, Aguilar, Cervelli, also Yimmy Garcia. All these guys just signed out of free agency, and it could get to a point by the middle of the year where the Marlins, again, have to admit to themselves that they're not contending for the postseason this year, which means that your veteran players, the one on expiring deals or close to expiring deals, they become trade bait, especially at a time where you have interesting internal options in your farm system that's the date to circle june 16th where if a certain number of circumstances come together if if you have your guys in the minor leagues ready to take a step forward and your veterans are playing well and commanding a lot of trade interest that's the point where the marlins will be able to actually officially start shopping them then on July 2nd, that is the start of the 2020-2021 International Amateur Signing Period. This has been a very this was a very big milestone for the Marlins last year where they picked up three uh young shortstops all on the same day, spent most of their bonus pool all at once. It's it's almost as much spending as the draft. It's not quite as much spending, but almost as much talent, I should say, as the draft. You're able to sign if you manage your money right, you're able to sign dozens of young amateur players, um, for the, most of them being about 16 years old. Uh, there's uh, one interesting twist to the international signing period this year for the Marlins, where all the way dating back to last summer, they've been linked to Cuban shortstop Yidi Cape, who is going to be entering his age 17 season coming up. And he was technically eligible to sign last year during the international signing period, but decided to hold off on that in order to wait until all the draft pools, 
all the signing bonus pools reset. Just like with the draft, you have a certain amount of money that you can spend before facing very steep penalties for it. And the way that the timing of his defection from Cuba lined up, it just made more sense for him to wait. And he's going to be a Marlin. This stuff is not supposed to be um, all so public, but uh, Kepe on Instagram has been very consistent with posting about his workouts with the Marlins Dominican Academy. We had an article pretty recently on fishstripes.com detailing who he is as a player and what he's been working on in the Dominican. He's is tall and he hasn't yet fully filled out, but his physical frame has drawn some comparisons to Carlos Correa to you guessed it, Derek Jeter, depending on how he fills out, could end up as a third base third baseman eventually but he has a really well-rounded skill set uh, his tools across the board ranking as average or above average uh, and the expected price tag this is based on reporting from uh, keith law and who's now at the athletic not espn and also from baseball america they think he's going to be about a three and a half million dollar player which um before the marlins trade for any international bonus slots uh, just based on the money that they're given directly by ML- MLB, this is going to co- take up the majority of their entire signing bonus pool. So they better be pretty sure about Kepe. Uh, shortly after that, July 14th, that's the MLB All-Star Game at Dodger Stadium. Each of the past couple of years, you know, the All-Star Game has not been all that interesting for Marlins fans because you've only had one All-Star apiece in those years. In 2019, it was Sandy Alcantara, and it was kind of awkward because he wasn't all that dominant in that first half of the season. It was pretty blatant that he was picked because every team had to have one representative. The year before that, it was JT Real Muto. That one was extremely well-deserved, and ever since then, he has made an airtight case that he's the best catcher in, in all of baseball. Uh, the year before that, in 2017, that is when Miami hosted the All-Star Game and festivities. But for the first time since then, this could have a lot of interest to Marlins fans because they have players newly acquired that have been All-Stars in the past, like um, Jesus Aguilar in 2018. And they have young players who have the potential to take a step forward, whether it's Brian Anderson, whether it's one of these young pitchers, Sandy Alcantara could still get better. Pablo Lopez is someone I'm very high on. In fact, I would say that more so than any other pitcher, Pablo would be my best bet to represent the team in the All-Star game. Uh, If you look across the National League, it's still a very deep league. Not a lot of teams tanking this year. Not really any teams that are like very obviously tanking this year, which means it's difficult. It's going to be difficult to win games, even with all the improvements the team has made. There's going to be a lot of competition at every every position, but uh, this is more a year that certainly more likely than the past couple of years for the Marlins to have multiple all-stars later in july on the 26th that is going to be the hall of fame induction ceremony in cooperstown new york as i'd mentioned Derek jeter is going to get in he's going to be there and he's going to have to take some time away from marlin's baseball operations in order to go to cooperstown and make a speech he has not been all that shy the past couple of years as with the marlins of addressing the media and answering questions so Um, And of course, he had plenty of practice of that during his career, but it'll be very interesting to see what he says on that stage, because although he is comfortable uh, speaking in front of cameras, speaking um, 
speaking about other people, he's always tried to deflect attention away from himself. So in this setting, it's pretty much impossible to do that, especially if he is elected unanimously, that uh, he's going to have to acknowledge some of his own career production. And um, I'll, I'll just be curious exactly how that speech goes and whether he ends up referencing anything that he's doing with the Marlins currently in that honor, which is all based about his playing career. Let's be clear that he's just being honored for being one of the most successful shortstops in baseball history. He'll have to get back to the team pretty shortly after that because July 31st, that is the MLB trade deadline. Marlins have been busy. Uh, Last year, they were especially busy. The year before, not so much in 2018. But this team is creative. They made a very surprising trade last year, the one-for-one sending Zach Gallen to the Diamondbacks for Jazz Chisholm. So it's unpredictable. Uh, Just on paper, the players you think are the most obvious trade candidates are a couple of the ones we mentioned already, like like VR and Aguilar. Um, Ones that are are more complicated, like Caleb Smith, who drew some interest at the trade deadline last year. But at this point, you're going to have a much better idea of who he is as a pitcher. Well, it'll be an extra year removed from his lat surgery. And um, there will be a lot more internal pitchers that are going to be ready to break through for the Marlins in the rotation. So it'll be a question of, whether they want to clear space for those young guys while getting more young talent in return to address other positions. Adam Conley, who for the moment is still with the Marlins somewhat surprisingly, took a big step back in 2019. But if if he's able to regain his 2018 form, um, then sure. I mean, he's going to draw some interest as a reliever, not necessarily uh, the way that Nick Anderson did last year, but he's, um, he's an uncomfortable at bat. I'll give you that no matter how much he struggled in 2019, his delivery, the velocity he gets on his fastball, it's especially for left-handed batters, it's difficult to look at, and there's going to be some contenders interested in that. Later in the year, September 1st, that's when active rosters expand. This is going to be the first year that active rosters have 26 spots instead of 25, and it's also the first year that they're going to do away from the 40-man expansion rules it used to be that anybody on your 40-man roster could be eligible to play in the majors in september of the season which totally changes the strategy of the game the way you manage a pitching staff how you could have players available for very specific roles down the stretch and the imbalance when you had some play some teams that had 40 healthy players versus those that uh, were much lower than that it, it created very awkward viewing experience and it created very long games. I think that was the main takeaway is that September games, especially those that don't have any consequences regarding the playoffs were just unbearably long of very frequently exceeding four hours for nine inning games. This new change should do away from that because now the maximum expansion is just going to be 28 active roster spots in September. Um, less players get their debuts. It means that feel-good stories last year, like uh, Brian Moran, who was recently DFA'd by the Marlins, only reason that he was able to come up with the team is because they had all those extra spots because they were able to expand their roster from 25 to 30-something. And he was able to sneak on the roster and pitch in a handful of situations. That was a feel-good story when he faced his brother, Colin Moran, um, an, an unprecedented meeting of brothers uh, when one brother was making his major league debut. 
So it's going to be a different environment, but still will be an opportunity to see some new faces that don't come up during the regular part of the calendar. Coinciding with that, the first series the Marlins play in September from the 1st to the 3rd, that's against the Astros on the road in Minute Maid Park. I know some fans are savoring the moment when the Astros come to Miami and you get to boo those cheaters in person. That's not going to happen um, just once every three years that you have these interleague matchups with uh, each division in the American League. This year, it's the AL West being that interleague matchup. And uh, the only three games they play against the Astros will be in Houston. Well, there's going to be, we expect to be, see more twists and turns to the sign-stealing saga between now and then, potentially implicating other teams. But for the moment, the Astros are everybody's public enemy. So that should be an interesting series to watch. The final game of the 2019 regular season will be September 27th versus the Mets. Uh, Just like the past few years, uh, every team gets to play on the final day of the season and at the exact same start time, 3.10 p.m. Eastern time. Hopefully, Don Mattingly continues his tradition where he picks a honorary acting manager from the, the player pool every year. Last year being Miguel Rojas and the team was successful. The others in the history of this tradition, AJ Ellis, Martin Prado, I think JT Real Muto. It's been a different player every year. My pointless prediction this far out is that Francisco Cervelli gets the honor of managing the Marlins in their 2020 season finale. Assuming this team doesn't quite have what it takes to make it to the playoffs, there's still a couple dates in the next offseason that I'm already looking forward to. November 20th in 2020, that is the deadline to set the roster in advance of the Rule 5 draft. There wasn't all that much drama around that this past year. I mean, there was the the bold decision to finally release Wei Yin Chen to make room for all the prospects you wanted to protect, but that was uh, the good baseball decision all the way around. Not wholly surprising, but, you know, something notable. Uh, And it's going to be really messy heading into the next Rule 5 draft because you have even more prospects that, Assuming they haven't made their major league debut yet, they're just going to be eligible for the Rule 5 for the first time, and the Marlins are not going to be able to protect everybody. Here are the most notable Marlins names that will be Rule 5 eligible for the first time next winter. Braxton Garrett, Trevor Rogers, Gerard Encarnacion, Jose Devers, Brian Miller, Luis Palacios, Riley Mahan, Joe Dunand, and Tyler Stevens. Most of those guys were very effective on the field with Marlins affiliates this past year, and that Rule 5 draft will ultimately be on December 10th. There's hardly any precedent for adding all those guys to a 40-man roster at the same time at the expense of actual experienced Major League players. So there's going to be some tough calls. There's probably going to be some trades as as Marlins rejigger their roster heading into 2021, which potentially is that first year where they can see that window opening for them to be a relevant team. Spoiler alert, this list of important Marlins dates is going to expand. As we get closer to the regular season, the team will reveal more details about its promotional schedules. There are always some giveaways in there. Bark in the park for you to bring your dogs. 
throwback opportunities, days where the, the team will be wearing throwbacks, uh, other special guest appearances. So as that information comes up, we will keep you informed about it on Fish Stripes. And this is a little premature, but we're hoping to set a date or two during the regular season to have Fish Stripes meetups at Marlins Park, ones that I'll be able to make it down for as well. So once once we set those in, in partnership with the Marlins, we're able to get everybody a very reduced rate to attend those games. And we'll try to pick dates that as many people as possible are available for. I'll pass along more of that information as well. This is Eli Sussman from Fish Bites. Make sure to subscribe to the pod if you don't already. Go fish. Go fish.